0: What I want to do is I want to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, our series for the morning. Father, that felt like a a whirlwind, (laughs) Um, but you're doing some really cool things around here, and I'm grateful uh, for that. Um, You are uh, stretching us, and you are growing us in ways that we never thought possible. Um, You are moving us into places of dependence in ways that we never thought possible, Um, and you're doing um, remarkably more than we can ask or imagine. And that's exactly what we set out to do, um, is to lean into you in dependence as you do the work, um, and you do it all around us, and we give you glory for it. And So thank you for everything that we've just talked about. Um, Father, thank you for our kids who are in the other room, and they're hearing about Jesus, and they're growing, and uh, they're actually hearing about um, the fiery furnace, and the idea that um, even if not, even if not, God, you're, you're still going to be at work. And uh, I pray that you uh, just be with the little ones uh, who are around the building right now who are hearing about you. I pray that uh, little roots of um, faith and um, foundation are, are set for them and for those who are already uh, growing that you would get some fruit on those limbs as well. And I pray for um, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and uh, men and women in the room right now um, who are going to be under uh, your teaching this morning and under the power of your spirit. God, I pray that you would work in us, work through us, um, that you would use my voice as I teach to, to our body, our family here, um, God, to just grow us up in dependence together. We're going to pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so question uh, for the morning here is, uh, where do you see yourself in, in five years from now? Maybe 10 years from now, maybe 25 years from now? Where, where, do, you, where do you see yourself? And as you think about that question, think about the direction of your life right now and how that plays into where you're going to be in 5, 10, 15, 25 years from now. Like, how do those things correlate with one another? I was reading this week in 2 um, Corinthians uh, uh, chapter 5, and there was a passage that stood out to me um, that, like, kind of hit me in a way that I wasn't expecting. You know, like, you come to a passage and you're reading, and, and as you're reading, it just kind of stands out. And um, you, you try to remember, like, oh, that, that's good, I, I want to try to remember it, uh, but then you like, forget it, and then throughout the rest of the week, you're like, what was that? What? That wasn't like that this week. Uh, I read this, and it stuck with me, and every thought that I had just kind of centered around this idea, and, and, and here's uh, what it says, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, and throw it up here. For the love of Christ controls us, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now here's what stood out to me in in this passage, right? Christ died for us. And we know that. And in, in his death, he reconciled us back to him. And being reconciled means that he took something that was out of relationship with him, and he brings us back into relationship with him. And so now there's this relationship that's happening, and Paul says that he didn't just do this for some random cause, that he had a reason and a purpose behind why he did this. And he says, so that we may no longer live for ourselves, but have a life that's marked by the one who died. A life that's distinctly marked as a believer. A life that's distinctly marked for Christ himself. Now think about this for a second. He reconciles us back to him so that we won't just think about ourselves. Let that sink for a minute. He brings us into relationship with him so that there's not this self-centered conceitedness where we're always kind of wrapping our minds around ourselves. Because intrinsically, there's this selfishness that sits deep inside of us before Jesus comes in. Now, think about this, this reality of when you were a kid, right? Nobody had to teach you how to say, mine. I think that just happens. Like your first words are like mama or daddy or or some version of that. And then it seems like the very next words are me, my, or mine. Like give that back to me. That that's my. You don't have to teach that. That just happens with kids um, naturally. And if we're being honest, that same me, my, my mentality sits with us, and we fight against that even after Christ comes in. It's called the flesh that we battle against. And we know that doesn't feel good. That's not a feel-good message, right? But it's the reality of the flesh still at work in us. But thanks be to God, Jesus sets us free from that. He sets us free from the slavery of our own selfishness. And what Paul does is he goes on in this passage and he says that believers or, or Christians, those who've trusted Jesus, they've been reconciled to him, and they are now a brand new creation. The old gone. The new has come, and they're not just a better version of who they used to be. Paul is saying they are a brand new creation. They are not even the same. You can't even compare the two. And as a brand new creation, you no longer identify with the old self. There's a transformation that's taken place. And so now, instead of this me, my, mine mentality and the selfishness that used to be who we are, we step away from that, and we step away from those self-centered motivations And we live for our king who has set us free and we live by the values of that king and we offer our lives to this king. There's a change that's taken place. And Paul, he's going to go on to say in verse 20, he's going to wrap this up in this idea, he's going to say that we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal, or God making himself known through us. Now think about this. What's an ambassador do? In in, in the world that we live in, What do ambassadors do? An ambassador is somebody who goes to another location, goes to another country maybe, and they represent their king or their president or their prime minister. The the king's values they represent. They represent the king's culture. They represent the king's heart to a people who don't really know anything about him. An ambassador, they show up in, in a whole new country, or show up around a group of people who don't really know what that king or that government is like, and they say, "This is what it looks like to be under the rule and reign of our governor. This is what it looks like to be under the rule and reign of our king. This is what an ambassador does." And an ambassador, their whole life then is wrapped up and is in, uh, wrapped up around the idea of embracing the values of the king, and living those values out. And what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here, he's saying that Jesus died for us, he reconciled us, he brought us back into a right relationship with God, God made us a brand new creation, and he gave us the job to do. And so now that you and me, we are ambassadors of Christ around the world. And so when the world sees Jesus... And the values of his, or or, or so the world is going to see Jesus, and they're going to see the values of his kingdom when they see you and me living as ambassadors of the king. Let me say that again. The world is going to see Jesus very clearly when they see you and me living as ambassadors of the king, who are now identifying under the rule and reign of the king of this kingdom. I don't know if you knew this or not, but if you're in Christ, You are an ambassador of the king who's called to represent him to the world. And so wherever you see yourself in 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, it has to be wrapped around this idea that the thing that we're going to be doing when we're in Christ is that we are going to be representing our king, no matter where it's at. If five years you're in another country, if five years you're still in the same place, one thing that is going to be true of you as an ambassador of Christ, you are going to be representing your king and the values of the kingdom think about that. That's a big call and a task that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ who have been changed, who have a brand new identity. And so you're like, well, I thought we were in Proverbs, Anthony. What's that got to do with Proverbs? What's that got to do with this old school wisdom mentality? Proverbs is all about practical theology being lived out. When we read the Proverbs, we're invited into um, applying these Proverbs to our lives and experiencing God's blessing not just for ourselves, but the blessing that we experience from obeying or living according to the Proverbs and experiencing life change gets played out in the lives of other people as well, that they are benefactors of this, um, th- this life that's been changed as well. And so when we're talking about um, whole life ambassadorship that Paul's talking about here, how we view our money has to come into the conversation. How we spend our money, how we view the concept of money, it has to be a part of it. But what does ambassadorship and um, this gospel call of Jesus in our life? What's it have to do with the economic value of dollars and cents in in the world that we wake up in every every single day? Well, no. when I was growing up uh, in math, I was always taught that the further you move the decimal point to the right, that means the number that's on the left increases in value. Right. So when you move the decimal to the right, one becomes 10, 10 becomes 100, 100 becomes 1,000, 1,000 becomes so on and so on. You get the idea, right? When you move the decimal point to the right, there is inherently added value that happens on the left. And growing up in economic classes and taking business classes, we learn the exact same thing, right? The further the decimal point goes to the right, the higher your net worth becomes, the larger your brand becomes the uh, more financially secure you might feel. The further it goes to the right, the more that just kind of sits in with our peace of mind that things are going to kind of work out. And I don't think the intent has ever been to create a system where we just live our lives focused on moving the decimal point to the right, but we know that we live in a world right now that works on economics. We live in a world that, that moves by dollars and cents, and so we know that there are bills that become due, there's tuition payments that become due. There are budgets that we have to manage with our wife or our husband or our friends or our roommates or however that works out. There are dollars and cents that, that get in, involved. And all these things, they come together and they have dollar signs and they've got decimal points attached to them. And so some to some degree, if we let it, and, and uh, if, to some degree, we have to think about money. We don't have the option, right? But if we let it happened like this. Life can quickly become all about where the decimal point is in our lives. But as believers, as ambassadors for Christ, money's more than just decimals. Money's more than just where the value lies when it comes to dollars and cents. Money becomes a means by which we experience the grace of God, money becomes a means by which God works through us towards others. It becomes a way that we carry out and live out the gospel in our lives. And so what we want to do is we want to look at wealth and money from the perspective of an ambassador, not just how do I make more or how do I live with less? How do we view our money as an ambassador in Christ where wealth is not the means, where wealth is not the end, where wealth becomes a mean to an end, right? Money, where we see that money is a gift from God for us to steward And to use so that people can see him clearly. But the tricky part is that we all grew up differently when it comes to money. And and you might be married to somebody who views money and spends money way differently. Like Ashley and I, we're not even on the same page a lot of the time. Like we're not in the same like ballpark. Like we have to have big conversations when it comes to how we spend money and how we save money. Like I'm just like, we're only here once. Like let's use it. She's like, you know what, we might want to eat tomorrow. So we might need to think about how we're going to do this thing. And, and so you might be married to somebody who does money differently than you, but you also may have been discipled a little bit differently about how you view money when you're coming, when you were growing up. Some of you were discipled into, you give a tithe, you were, you, you give to the Lord. Some of you were discipled in, in the aspect of like, you make as much as you can and you use it for, for your own kind of security kind of a deal. Um, We've all grown up and we've seen money used differently. But I want you to know, like, this isn't a money seminar, right? Like, I, I'm not the guy to give a, a money talk by, by any stretch of the, and, and to really have a whole lot of credibility to it when it's just about dollars and cents. We, we do a financial peace class every once in a while um, that if you're interested in that, we can get you signed up for that. that I mean, that's, that's not my, my realm. Uh, I don't have answers for all the money questions because Ashley and I, like, we're still trying to figure out how this works uh, in our own lives. Um, but I think what we're going to look at this morning are ideas um, that give us a bigger picture than just moving the decimal place um, a a few points to the right uh, when we talk about money. And so, you guys with me so far? Yeah, this is exciting to talk about money, right? Um, But I think when we get our view um, in the right place, it actually does become quite exciting um, that we can use what God has given us in a way that maybe we were never even thinking about. So Proverbs 3, um, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting uh, with wine. If, uh, if you grew up around uh, the church, you, you've probably heard about the idea of, of tithing or or giving some type of portion of your money to God through through regular giving at the church, right? But there's a debate that goes back and forth of when I give, is it 10%? Like 10% is considered a tithe, and so am I only called to give 10%? Do I have to give 10%? Or when uh, Paul comes along and he talks about um, what it looks like to give, and he talks about giving hilariously and generously when he's writing to the Corinthians, does that kind of surpass this idea of giving a tithe? Does Jesus, when he fulfills the law, does he like kind of nullify the idea of giving a 10% 10 tithe? Well, it doesn't really matter, in my estimation, where you fall on the line of, do you give 10%, do you not give 10%, do you just give way above 10%. Um, I don't think that that's really the idea. And no matter where we fall on this, I think what happens is that God's leading in the Old Testament, and as well as his leading in the New Testament, as Jesus rebukes the Pharisees quite often when it comes to their view of money, when he talks about money, I really don't think he was ever really talking about money. Like, we, we read all kinds of different things and say, well, what's the biggest thing, the most thing, the, the, the thing that Jesus talked about the most, and most people are going to be like, oh, he talked about this and, this and this. The reality is, one of the things he talked about more than anything else was money, um, and, and it depends on how you, you know, categorize it or whatnot, but when he talked about money, listen to me, it was never really about money. It was always getting the mind off of money and moving it to a bigger kingdom mindset, not to build your own little kingdom, but to think about how there's a bigger picture at mind here that it's more than just decimals, that there there are lives that are at stake in this. There's a bigger kingdom um, that's at play in this. But yet here in Proverbs chapter 3, Solomon, he's going to draw on wisdom that was taught uh, back in uh, earlier on in the Old Testament that when the law was given. He's going to draw on um, what was said about faithful men and women Um, of Israel to to bring the first parts or the first fruits or the best parts um, of their produce and animals and offer that to the Lord. Well, why would God want people to bring the best parts or the first fruits of of their life? Was Was it because he needed it? Was it because like he didn't have enough and like he needed to get it from the people around him? Here's the idea of why God was asking or commanding his followers to bring an offering to him. The idea is that if you can give it away, then that means it doesn't control you. If you can give money away, if you can give what you feel is the most secure thing for you in whatever culture or whatever society, if you can give it away, it's a sign that your heart is not controlled by the things that you own or have. That there is something bigger, like I'm going to trust in the Lord. God has provided for me, and if he's provided for me once, I'm going to trust that he's going to continue to provide for me. And whatever comes, whether, whether I lose everything or whether I have everything, it doesn't matter. I'm trusting in God's ability to provide for me, and so I'm going to acknowledge that he has control in every area of my life, even my finances. If I can give it away, it doesn't control me. And so when the Israel, when they were building the temple, and this was a big task throughout Israel. Gold and silver and, and just people were bringing all kinds of stuff. And the mentality was that they could look at all this gold, all this silver, all, of this, um, all this material wealth that, that, that they had put together, and they could say, hey, look at everything that we have. We are so wealthy. What can we do? Or they could look at this and say, man, look at what God has provided. Look at what God has, God has done. And, and so in First Chronicles chapter 29 there's this reminder that comes that this wealth doesn't belong to us. The thing that God has given us, it's not ours. It actually belongs to Him. In verse 12 of 29, or verse 12 of chapter 29, he says, Both riches and honor come from you. Like, it's not from me. Like, we didn't do this. And you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. There was this acknowledgement when they had all this money. And, and, and King David was making preparations for the temple that would be built. And Solomon, we know he had more money than anybody else, more wisdom, more money. He had everything that you can imagine. And, and yet, he is saying here, honor the Lord with the wealth that you have, with the first fruits of all your produce. I, I think what he's saying is that when you're out there and you're working your nine to five job and you're picking up your check at the end of the week, however it is that you get paid, And you look down at it or you look on the screen and you see how much did I make this week? Whether you see one zero after the decimal or before the decimal or you see six zeros before the decimal there. Let's not forget where this came from. Give this back to God, not because he needs it, but because it keeps your heart free from the slavery of selfishness. It keeps your heart free from the selfishness and the love of money. Again, he's gonna say in, in chapter three, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first, first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. The, the question that, you know, often comes up, you know, um, is, like, do we still have to give? Or, or why would I give? Like, I earned this. I worked hard for this. Nobody nobody gave this to me. Like I went to work. I, I put all my effort in, and then my kids had to watch me go to work. They, they, I missed time with them. So why would I want to give any of my money to, to anybody else? Well, there seems to be a promise that comes, a blessing that comes along with, with giving. But when you look at the Proverbs, is it actually a promise here? That like, like if I give a tithe, or I text to give, or I put money in a basket, or I give to somebody on the side of the street. Is there a promise that I'm going to maybe like get a new house? Is there a promise that I'm going to get a new car? Or if my car starts to rust, am I going to get a new car that doesn't have rust on it? What's, what's the promise here? What's the blessing? What's my vat? What's my, what's my um, new wine here that, um, that Solomon's talking about? There's a, there's a prosperity gospel out there that says, God wants you to be rich. He wants you to be healthy. And if you're not rich and you're not healthy, then you're just not giving enough or you're not thinking positively enough. And I want you to know that the prosperity gospel is garbage, okay? Like it is absolute garbage because that's not true. Jesus left the riches of heaven to pick up a towel in a basin to serve people. Jesus, he left the riches of heaven uh, to head to a cross and to suffer. And to give up his life and die. That is not a life that is without pain and suffering. And then the thing that he tells us to do is to take up our cross and to enter into that suffering as well. Like he asks us to join him in this suffering. And so the very idea that we would walk through life and never have any type of pain... And there would never be any suffering or the need to to daily depend on him for for our very basic needs. I mean, that is just wrong, and it doesn't fit with the whole entire context of God's text, right? And so it doesn't mean that he won't bless with wealth and that he won't actually, and I'm going to use these two words together, bless with poverty, because sometimes being blessed with poverty is the thing that we need more than anything to get our hearts off of the thing that's gripped us the most. It, It means that he's in control. And so when you hear a prosperity gospel that says that Jesus wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, that's not true. Like maybe, maybe he does, but it's not the promise. And it's not the promise that Solomon gives here. What we know from the Proverbs is that they bring about wisdom for how to order our, our lives. And so there's a sense that when God's people tied to him, when they brought the first parts of their wealth and they, and they received um, their blessing, or they would receive a blessing. But it didn't mean that they would um, never experience famine. It didn't mean that they wouldn't have this, um, these moments of daily dependence on God, where I just, like, if he doesn't show up, I'm not going to eat today. Here's how it works. They prepared their land. They went out and they worshiped God through the work that he had given them to do. They prepared their fields. They planted the seeds. And what God does is he, he provides the rain he provides the sun, and he actually provides the blessing of that crop pushing up through the dirt and, and producing something that will feed you and feed your, your family as well. And I think there's this bigger picture of whole life ambassadorship that comes in here. See, they were experiencing, or they would experience the blessing of God for themselves, but there was a blessing that was even greater that Solomon was talking about here, that we get to walk alongside of our brothers and sisters and help provide not only the blessing um, of our own life for us to experience that, but we get to walk alongside brothers and sisters and help them to experience the blessing of God uh, as well. When I was uh, uh, younger, um, I, was, I was 24 or something like that, and uh, I just got out of the army, and uh, one, of, one of my buddies who was doing pretty well off um, uh, financially, um, he said, I know you're broke and you don't have any money. I'm like, hey, you're right. Uh, we're, we're on the same track here. And, and he said, hey, you're heading off to college. I want to do everything that I can to help you get through college. Now, he wasn't promising to give me money to go to college, but all the things that are on the side that you need, like you need bed sheets for your bed or you need milk in the refrigerator, like, hey, if you need something, let me know. And so at the beginning of every semester, be like, okay, what do you need? What are the things? And, and so, like, uh, I, I kind of joke about this, but he kind of became a sponsor of my life uh, for, for my time through college. And, and, it, and it was great. He was using the blessing that God had given him to bless somebody else who didn't really have uh, anything. And I think this is what Solomon's mentioning here. That see, in, at the day and time that Solomon's writing, the, the society was full of people who had money and people who didn't have money. And there was a lot more people who didn't have money than those um, who did have, have money. And, and so those who have money weren't experiencing the same Kind of strain on daily existence and need that those who didn't have. And that's not to say that they didn't have strain and they didn't have, you know, needs that need to be met, but the responsibility that they bore as somebody who had wealth was much more different. That was much different than those who didn't have anything. There was a responsibility that came along with the blessing of wealth. Listen to how God describes this this responsibility and uh, this great big picture of how to use money wisely in Leviticus. Um, 19. It says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after the harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. See, After the harvest time, there were um, widows and orphans and poor folks who would go and they would follow the sickles, right? Like wherever they were, they would hope that there would be something left in the field because if there was, they could eat. If there was nothing there, they had not, there was nobody else providing for them. And so God in his forbearance and his wisdom and his love for his people said, this is how I want you to function. Like I want you to value people. I want you to value uh, people over the decimal." People are greater than your your bottom line here. The greed to which you've been blessed with wealth is the responsibility that we have to bless others. So he was saying, take what I've given you, and you go out and you love people with it. You let them glean in your fields. You don't cut all the way to the corners. You leave something intentionally so that others can come around and eat. Leave the corners so that those who are hopeless and hurting can come and dine in your fields. And guys, can I just be honest with you? Like, I struggle with this because I want to identify my heart with what God is saying here and, and to say, hey, use what you have to bless others. But if I'm being honest, there's a caveat that I put on on God's call to bless others is what we have. Because I'm, I'm all like, I mean, God, I am so with you on this. Let's love our neighbors. Let, let's bless them and let's give what we can. But then I put on this, but, I mean, if, if we look at their situation, and I say their situation, well, this is how you got into your situation. You wouldn't have gotten into that situation if you weren't doing this, this, and that that kind of thing. I put, anybody else do that? Like, to remove ourselves away from the responsibility that God gives us with the wealth that we have, whatever that wealth is? Like, I caveat the thing to death. But when we look in God's word, I don't think that when he calls us to love our neighbor that there's a caveat on that. It's just simply love your neighbor. Now, obviously, there's wisdom that gets wrapped up into this, but he says, hey, go love your neighbor. Take the wealth that I've given you, and you go out and you be an ambassador for the kingdom. You go out and use what I've given you, and you, ambassador, you represent me and my kingdom values well out in the community. And so God's blessing wasn't just for the person. It was for those who would come and glean in the corners of their fields as well. It was for other people. God was blessing them so that they might be able to bless others. What's that look like for us today? It it means that we take the wealth, whatever it is, wealth, money, time, blessings, material, and we take it and we bless people with it. We use the decimal that we have to help develop the people of God. We use what God has given us, and we help use it in whatever way, and we get creative with that. Maybe that looks like you invite somebody um, to uh, your home, so you open up your home or your property to somebody. Um, we've been here, my wife and I, we've been here for about four years. And earlier on when we got here, um, there, was a, there was a couple. Um, you know who they are probably, uh, Steve and Gail Lugman. Um, many of you know them. And they're doing okay, right? They're, they're doing okay. And they, they came up to Ashley and, I, and they said, hey, we just want you to know that there is, um, we, we have a home in Colorado that we have built with the purpose of ministering to missionaries and pastors who need a place to rest. Their, their, their slogan is God's word, come away and rest a while. Uh, it, just to go and spend time with the Lord. And they said, if there is ever a time that you, would, that you would want to use this place, just let us know because this is exactly what we built it for. I said, you guys have a house, a second house that you want, that you want to bless? They didn't know that I'm a cheapskate, okay? They didn't know that like, if anything is thrown out as an offering, I will take it, okay? It doesn't matter what it is. And I, but I, for real, I was like, you guys have a house that you like are just blessing people with and it blew me away and I thought that is the coolest thing. And so one, one uh, fall we took him up on it and said, hey, can we come stay out at your place? And guys, I'm going to tell you, this place was gorgeous. Like we, we sat uh, out on uh, the patio and right in front of us, there's Pike's Peak in all of its glory. And then you wake up early and there, there's clouds moving through and it covers it and throughout the day, then it's completely clear and it was just gorgeous. It, ex- it was exactly what we needed in the moment. They use the blessing that God has given them to bless other people. That's using your wealth to be a blessing. Maybe you don't have a house to lend out, a second place to lend out to somebody. But the question is, what are the corners of your fields? What what has God given you to help you to bless other people in, in your life? What's the corner of your field? How can you use what he's blessed you with to let other people see him? Because that's thinking like an ambassador when it comes to your money. That's thinking about how do I represent the king and his kingdom out in the world that I'm a a part of. Remember, we're talking about what it looks like to be an ambassador. We're thinking like ambassadors here. How, How can God use what we have to show up in somebody else's life? How can you use what you have to relieve the burden for somebody else? How can you use what God has blessed you with to maybe meet the need of somebody else, to maybe lift the hopelessness of somebody who would love to glean in your, your field? How can you be a blessing to, to, to somebody? There, there's different ways for us to measure wealth, isn't there? Like, like, for my kids right now, like a bag full of candy, I mean, that is immensely wealthy for them, right? Like, that, that's all I need in life, just give me a bag of candy. For me, wealth looks a little bit differently. For Jeff Bezos, wealth looks a little, like we're talking about different categories. Like we're not in the same category when we're thinking about that. When we look at the Old Testament, wealth was measured in livestock. It was measured um, in servants. It was measured in crops and produce, maybe a little bit of gold, maybe a little bit of silver. Children were even considered to be of a sign of wealth. The more children that you had, the more wealth that, that you might have as well. And as we talked about earlier, a very small percentage of the population was considered wealthy. Very small percentage the larger percentage was living under what we would consider the, the poverty line. And so as a result, the, the way that believers interacted with the community and they chose to handle their money that God had blessed them with, it was a, um, it was a sign of their spiritual maturity and, and what they viewed was the major priorities in their life. And so as God sees this dynamic at work, he creates a system that works for, for people to love him and to love his people. To love him and to, to love their neighbors. That's what we read about in, in Leviticus. And we read it in Deuteronomy um, a, as well. See, I, I think the value is when we, give, when we give from what God has given to us, our hearts are free to worship, right? Our hearts are set free to worship and to, and to bless people. Did God need money? No, he didn't need money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills that all the cattle are on, right? He doesn't need our, our, our money. But when I give, my heart's free. When I give, my heart is free and people get a chance to see God. When I give, the burden is lifted on other people. When I give, the chains of selfishness are broken. And, and, and I agree with the ambassadorship that Jesus has called on to me. When, when I give, I'm set free from selfishness. And I'm able to be able to be an ambassador that Jesus has called me to be. There's a story that many of you guys know in, in Matthew 19. It's in, it's in Mark and Luke as well. And, and it's about this rich young ruler. And he sees Jesus and he sees what Jesus is offering. And he's heard Jesus talk about eternal life and he sees him healing and all this stuff. And he runs to Jesus and he says, Hey, what do I need to do to get that? I want in on what you're doing. And Jesus responds and he tells him, Hey, um, uh, do, do the commandments. And he's like, Oh, well, which ones? And it's like, well, he does what Jesus does, and he starts listing off the commandments. He says, don't murder, don't cheat, the usual kind of stuff that happens. But then there's this this one that he throws in there that Mark and Luke um, don't uh, don't include. He says, "Um, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's interesting that he would include this piece because it, it, it... what he was saying is this isn't just an issue of, of loving God here. The, this greatest commandment is, is two parts. You've got a part one and a part two. It's love God and love your neighbor, to which this guy says, okay, right? I, I've done that. I, I, I've done that. Like, like, I did it once, and, and let's move on from that. But Jesus looks at the guy and he says, hey, there's something that's still lacking here. And, and he says, go sell all your stuff. Go sell it and, and, and take the money and give it to the poor. Set your treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. What's Jesus saying in this moment? What he's doing? Is he's saying what my father talked about in Leviticus, what my father talks about in Deuteronomy, about the corners of your field. That stuff still matters today. What he's saying is, is that we are to love people with the corners of our fields. When you give it away, your heart's free. And God is seen and, and people are blessed. And, and the rich guy, he looks at Jesus and he hangs his head and he, and he walks away. But why does he walk away in this moment? Because he has a lot of stuff. His decimal point was far to the right. And that was the main focus in his life. He couldn't see how letting go of this, the grip that he had, would actually free his heart. And not only help him, but it would help the people around him as well. And Jesus wasn't attacking people with money. That's not what he was doing here. This was an attack on being controlled by money. And so Jesus was showing him what he talks about in Matthew 6, that you can't have two masters. You can't love God and love money because you're going to end up serving one over the other, and it's not usually the one that we would want to land on. He's saying it's really hard to cling to Jesus when you're clinging to your stuff. And so what Jesus was calling this guy to in this moment with so much more. He says, come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come, follow me. Come be reconciled to something that's so much bigger than your decimals and your bottom line. God, this, is, this is whole life ambassadorship. This is Jesus pointing us to a kingdom that's bigger than our own lives and our own little kingdoms. It's true that Jesus talks about money more than just about anything else, but again, it was never really about money. It was always connecting our hearts to something so much bigger. Money was never meant to be the end of the conversation. Money was never meant to be the end, right? It was a means to an end, and the end wasn't bigger or a decimal point that was further to the right. The end was lives that were changed when he blesses you to be a blessing to somebody else. And so the question is, is money good or is money bad? Well, it's both, right? Money, when we view it from the the lens of God being a blessed, being blessed with it so that we can bless others, I think it becomes an opportunity for us to be ambassadors for Christ. But money can also be bad if it becomes the focus and the fixation of our life. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's my relationship with money? Do I cling to it as tight as I can and I can't let it go? Or am I open-handed with it and say, God, you just use it however, however you want. If, if, let me say it like this. If where we see ourselves in 5, 10, 15, 25 years is building our bottom line and increasing our wealth for us, then I think we've missed an opportunity of the ambassadorship that God has called us to. If where we see ourselves in 5, 10, 15, 20 years, whether we're making a little bit or a lot of it, as ambassadors of Christ who are using everything that we have where we are to further the kingdom of God, then I think we're viewing money from a a right perspective. And so I want to give us a challenge um, th- this week. I want, I want you to just, like, <clears throat> in your time with the Lord, say, God, what is, where do I stand with you and, and my money? Like, what's the corner of my fields? Where, where, where do you want to use my life to help bless other people? Where's my grip on money? And then ask God, like, can you make me an ambassador for you? Make me an ambassador for with everything that you've given to me. And if the relationship that you've had with money, that God just reveals, and there's been some tension between you and me on this, then I I would ask you, like with with all of your heart, just to throw it out there to God and say, Lord, I have not handled this wisely. And so would you help me to handle it wisely? I confess it to you. Remove this from me. You've reconciled to me. Reconcile this last part of my relationship that I'm holding out on you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, money is a blessing. You've given it to us as a gift. Would you let us use it wisely? Let us not be consumed by it. Let us not become a lover of it, but use it as a tool, as a means to an end. Father, would you let us see the people behind the decimals? Would you let us see your people over our money? Would you help give us eyes um, to see people as you see them? Um, It's hard. We work hard for what we have. But at the end of the day, it all still belongs to you. And so let us live open-handedly with it and invite people to see you through it. We pray in Jesus' name. Make us ambassadors. Amen. Love you guys.